A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The first job I got in television, my boss at the time said, this is how I like my tea and coffee and water and... <laughs> I don't do any of that. And he went, are you serious? And I laughed and said, no, I'm not here to make you coffee. You know, I'm here to learn about television. Are you kidding? That is senior editor of Network 10 News and news anchor, Sandra Sully. And this, oh, this is episode 223 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome. This is the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Osher, and this is my show. Sometimes you may see me on the television doing complicated arithmetic, but you know, in regards to roses. But every Monday, <laughs> I'm hitting your phone making this podcast. Each week, I try to have an authentic conversation that you get to be a part of with someone that you may know or someone that you may not know. It doesn't matter, because each week I guarantee that while you're listening with your earbuds in, while you're driving, while you're walking, while you're running, while you're doing housework, while you're grocery shopping, while you're looking after whatever, while you're on a plane, whatever you're doing, you just go, oh, all right then. That's interesting. I never thought about that like that. Hmm. That's all I want to do. That's all we're here to do. It's called paradigm shifting, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get after on this episode, on this show generally. This is episode 223 of the show, which means there's 222 other ones for you to go and explore if you're brand new. But this show is with Australian broadcasting royalty, Sandra Sully. You can find her on Twitter at Sandra underscore Sully, S-U-L-L-Y. More about Sandra in just a moment. Thanks to everybody that dropped me there postal address. The link was down for a little while, but it's back now. So if you think that maybe one day you might like to see something in the mail, it's not a bill or a charity thing that you once bought a ticket for at a shopping mall and now they'll never stop finding you with their their mailing address, no matter how many times you move house. Um, if you'd like to see something in the mail that isn't that, I might try and send you something. Just go to osh.is slash sending me mail. O-S-H dot I-S 
slash sending me mail. There's a little form there. Just pop your snail mail address in. I'll see what I can do for you. To check in with you this week, um, uh, if you're new, by the way, hi. Uh, each week I have a bit of, you know, just kind of check in, let everybody know what's up, talk to you about what's up, let you know what's up, what's up. Um, so to check in this week, um, as you know, last week I'll let you know that the fear was coming back and then it had come to make camp. And it was kind of waiting for me at five o'clock in the morning to go, hey, motherfucker, good morning. Uh, and that's a shitty way to wake up. Uh, so in an effort to kind of figure out that that fear and not let things kind of spiral out of hand too much, I started to explore what would happen if I just noticed, if I just noticed that anxiety that kind of was waking me up an hour and a half before my alarm. If I just, I was wondering what would happen if I just looked at it and went, oh, oh, there you are. Because I was finding that in meditation, that if I resisted something, if I tried to breathe it away, if, if I tried to push it away, it actually, it actually just got stronger. Instead, if I just tried to be with myself and then be with it while I got on with my day, it faded over time, if that makes sense. So if I just was able to go, oh, oh it's doing that thing okay well i've got stuff to do so i'll just let it do its thing while i rather than try to pushing against it because I, I really do it's that old oh we've all heard it but it's bloody true what you resist persists um and that seemed to pretty work it seemed to work pretty well throughout the day to just kind of get on with my day while my body was doing this thing um and that was fine but it's the early hours of the morning where things are kind of hard so i resolved in my uh, morning writing i'm still doing an hour of no tech in the morning, which is really helping, to be honest, um, really helping kind of set me up and let my dopamine levels get proper hits early um, rather than just getting those spikes when you check Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever first thing in the morning. So I'm spending an hour off the phone, setting my alarm early enough that I can have an hour off the phone in the morning, um, just writing and getting stuff out of my head early in the morning. That's really, really helping. Um, but I resolved in the, the morning writing to just notice that I'm awake. That's it. No matter how much fear or, you know, whatever my body's doing, if my heart's beating through my ears or whatever, just to go, oh, oh, I'm awake. Huh. So rather than wake up and then get worried about that and go, oh, my God, it's back. <laughs> and then kind of get worried about it and just kind of loop around in there, working myself up into a frenzy, trying to breathe it down. I've got to come down. Otherwise, it'll fucking take me over again. So rather than doing that, I just lay there and try and go, oh, oh, all right, I'm awake. Oh, that's interesting that my ear, heart's beating so hard in my ears. Oh, Okay. I might just, I might just, okay, that's interesting. And and that's it. That's the tiny goal that I set. I didn't push myself to be anxiety-free by Friday. I just wanted to notice that I was awake and go, oh, okay, all right. It took a few days, but it has started to work. And I know it started to work because I woke up to turn an alarm off and then again to turn the snooze off. So that means that I was asleep. So that means it's starting to work. The same thing happened this morning. I woke up with it, uh, I don't know, something o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I was able to go, oh, oh, my heart is thumping. Oh, my stomach is tight. There's no need for that. I'm safe. I'm well. I'm happy. I'm naked. I'm next to my wife. She's naked. Everything's great. I'm safe. Everything's rad. The dog's asleep. Everything's tip top. I might just feel the air going in and out of my nostrils for a while. 10 a.m., I turn an alarm off. Brilliant. That's a win, isn't it? Bloody good stuff. 
Little little things. Just trying to get a little better every day. And that's just today. It might be different tomorrow, but I'm just letting you know that, that uh, not resisting it has been the best thing so far that, that's working. I have to say a massive thank you to Jade and the team at Sydney City Limits. They very graciously invited Audrey and I along to see the show on the weekend. Uh, it was a music festival in the middle of the uh, Centennial Park, which is a park in the middle of the eastern part of Sydney. And uh, it was just great. But the absolute highlight was seeing Grace Jones play live. Um, Grace Jones, an absolute masterclass in show business. 69 years old slamming figure, naked, but for a corset, body painted like Keith Haring used to paint her before shows, wearing a different headpiece for every single song, with naked, upside-down male pole dancers all around her, surrounded by a cascade of bubble machines. She stalked and prowled the stage, and she was utterly fantastic. It looked like she wanted to eat everyone in the crowd alive. And it was fucking amazing. Over on another stage, there were two very talented, very clever, very musical um, EDM guys standing there pushing buttons. And look, for me, I'm old though. For me, I'm like, well, well, that's great. That sounds great. Yes, that's a great song from the radio, but where's the show? Where's the show? When I think of EDM, I think of a band like, um, there's a band out of Los Angeles called Glitch Mob, who, who go out of their way to play all their stuff live and fire their samples off using percussion triggers and all kinds of stuff. So, so there's a show in them playing. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, I'm showing my age. I like, I like, show me the people playing the music. Show me someone putting on a show. That's what I want to see. And that is what Grace Jones gave us. She's, utterly incredible i'm so lucky that we got to see her it was astonishing like i've not seen stage presence like that like maybe three times in my life have i seen someone own a stage like that and it was amazing to see it was it, it that's a that's a dying art a dying art having the having the confidence to stand on stage at 69 years old naked but for a a tiny corset <laughs> body painted and just owning owning it completely owning it like this is my space and you are now in it like that there's not many people that can do that and fuck it was amazing it was so good to see a big thanks to everyone that sent through an email through the week i uh, always love reading uh, what you've got to say. Also to Jono, who I met at the festival yesterday. Jono, I'm looking forward to your email, Jono. Uh, just send me through what's on your mind. Snap me a pic of where you're listening. I'd love to see where you're listening to the show. That's always great. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com is the address. And as always, if you do like the show, please subscribe in the podcast app. That really does help. Whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Um, and also just please tell one extra person about the show just through your week. Oh, you know, I listened to the show this week. Sandra Sully. Yeah, she's really interesting. Have a listen. I don't know if you knew about the thing with the aerobics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aerobics. Yeah, yeah. Sandra. Yeah, have a listen. Um, that would be really, really handy because for, for every extra person that bumps up the download numbers, the better download numbers I get, the better guests I can book, the better shows I get to make for you. And then the friend that you turned on the podcast will turn to you and go, yeah, you remember that podcast you told me to listen to? Fuck me. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it would really help if you could... Uh, let someone else know about the show this week. Let me tell you, though, let me tell you about my guest today. Sandra Sully is an, is 
Sandra Sully is Australian journalism royalty. She's the senior editor, the senior news editor for Network 10 News and has been the anchor of their afternoon bulletin for more than a decade. Sandra is an astonishingly focused person. Her dedication and drive to do great work is undeniable, as you'll hear in this conversation, and it's evident in her stellar career. In a time when news of varying reliability is coming at us from every angle, 10 times a minute through our phones, the role of a legitimate and well-resourced news anchor to sort the wheat from the chaff, to sort the bots from the legitimate stories, in my opinion, the role of a, of a well-resourced news anchor has never been more important, and that is where Sandra comes in. Delegitimizing news sources is a tool that politics has used for decades. It's important to keep an eye out for it. And in these times of, you know, fake news being thrown about, anytime there's a critique of any policy, if a news organisation critiques a, politics, a politician's policy and they turn around and go, well, that's just the bias of the network, well... Look, it's never been more important to have staunch and solid news sources. That means not Facebook. I'm a big fan of not getting your news from Facebook. And that is where Sandra comes in. And I'm so happy that you get a chance to meet Sandra outside of the news bulletin. So without any delay, come to the boardroom at Network 10 in Sydney, right across the road from the fish markets. Have a chat with the incredible, powerful human being and the lovely, the delightful Sandra Sully. How are you, Sandra? Oh, sure. I'm very well, thank you. Beautiful sunny day in Sydney town. Can't complain. Could you, for folks who are listening on their podcasting apps of choice, could you explain <laughs> where we are? Uh, we're at Network 10 in Sydney at Piermont, basically overlooking Blackwater ba- Blackwattle Bay and Sydney fish markets. And the uh, there might be a bit of traffic noise behind us, that is, um, whatever that road is, but it goes over the fancy New Glebe Island Bridge. Well, the Anzac Bridge, oh, and we're on the a- Channel 10's Anzac Ball. Uh, boardroom, so it's all very fitting. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. You and I have something in common that we're both from Brisbane. Love Vegas. Brio de Janeiro. Yeah. I never thought of that one. I always just call it Vegas. We're Parisians. Parisians. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Brisbane did you, did you grow up in? I'm from the Gindi. I'm a Gindi girl. Tara Gindi. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. See, all these suburbs, when I was a kid. What about you? Uh, I The first part was Ferny Grove, but it was Bush then. Yeah. Uh, and then we... For some reason, I have no idea why, our only relatives when we first moved to Brisbane when we were kids from Adelaide, our only relatives in the whole city lived in Ferny Grove. So my parents decided, I know what we'll do. We'll go live in Kenmore, which is like an West. hour and 20 minutes away or whatever because yeah. there's no freeways then. And then I did most of it in Chapel Hill. But then I lived in... Um, I lived The I Corridor to the Goldie. 13 houses. I think I lived in 13 houses in five years after school. Yeah. You moved a lot, whereas I never moved. So, hang on. So, Tarragindi, let's for folks who, who, who aren't familiar with Brisbane ge- ge- geography. Oh, it's been a ta- while. Tarragindi's uh, third exit off the freeway, I think. Yeah, less than 10 k's out of the city. Pretty so, amazing. as you head towards the Goldie, just yeah. take the Holland Park exit and then turn right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Just down from it. the Wellers Hill Reservoir. I love it. I, I have actually, uh, you know, just no, I have rollerbladed naked on the roof of that reservoir. <laughs> Have you really? I really have. That used to be the lookout for the locals. Right. Well, wow. So some scary yeah. sights were seen. Uh, no, not at all, Sandra. I, uh, <laughs> no, I rollerbladed naked and just as we 
just as we put our clothes back on, because uh, it was a sunny day, you know, I had a sense of adventure at the time. Um, just as we put our clothes back on, this is how long ago it was, the Powers Bitter blimp flew over. Uh, that's how long ago it was. <laughs> Powers Bitter was a beer in the olden days. Yeah. Now the VB Brewery on the way down to the Goldie. Yeah, I know, but Forex still rules in the Sunshine <laughs> State, as you know. <laughs> hey? Well, what did you folks get up to when you were there? What were they? What kind um, of game were well, they? Well, my mum my, my and dad um, grew up together at West End. Oh, wow. They went to primary school together, and uh, they they made a start at high school, but really, you know, the economy called, as in the family economy, so um, they went to work. But uh, they met, I think, in at West End Primary School, and they reconnected. You know, they lived around the corner from each other all through their childhood and, yeah. and started dating, and then they were married at 2021. Wow. Yeah, so Dad was a stevedore. He did a range of jobs, but he ended up being a foreman stevedore on the wharves. And my mum did he swear like a stevedore? Um, never at home. <laughs> no, no. He he still apologises now if he swears, but that's just habit because he never used. We probably swear more than he does. Yeah. And now he goes to say sorry and then realises he doesn't have to anymore. We're old wow. enough. But um, Mum did a range of jobs from. You know, dry clean delivery to packing shelves at Woolies and yeah. then um, a kindergarten assistant. Right. Yeah. So your dad worked out at the, um, at the what, Fisherman Islands out there towards the end of the Brisbane oh, River? That only happened right at the end. Um, I remember going to store, the Story Bridge. He used to work under the Story Bridge. Really? Yeah. And then it was the Hamilton Wharves, Brett's Wharves at yeah. Hamilton. And, you know, they only moved to Fisherman's in the last, say, 10 years. But, um, yeah, my dad... Uh, Famously in our family, um, just like they paint the Sydney Harbour Bridge, they had painters all the time on the scaffolding of the Story Bridge and uh, a painter fell down all the way and um, Dad saw him fall and ran in, dived in and rescued him. Wow. Yeah. It's just one of those funny stories that the family always remembers whenever we drive over the Story Bridge. Dad worked just down there and he saved a guy who fell off the bridge. I think I started, I started rowing just as that, at that wharf which is now all mega apartments where that wharf used to be. It is. Just as that wharf was shutting down. Yeah. That's when I, late 80s. We used to drop dad to work there, you know, because one car family, all that stuff. Way to set set the bar for your children's relationship expectations. All right, kids, you meet the person you marry in primary school. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. That's, it's pretty cool really. Yeah. You know. Like knowing what I know now about, you know, as a stepfather now and knowing what I know about, you know, bonding and, and relationships. relationships and the pattern in, in, um, imprinting on, you know, even though you don't say here's the lesson, like just through sheer observance, that stuff gets absorbed, you know. And Well, I think you reach a point where you realise if you don't have shared values, you probably won't last. Yeah, right. Okay, so they had a pretty similar upbringing. Yeah. Shared value system. Yeah. And, you know, as much as no relationship's perfect, uh, you know, values are what keep you together. Yeah. That's, that's, that was a beautiful part of uh, Brisbane when your folks grew up there. It, it still is, you know, just if you have a squillion bucks and can afford a house in West End now. <laughs> it's yeah. certainly not what it used to no, be. No, no, theirs was, yeah, an old, yeah. you know, they were old weatherboards and, gosh, hate yeah. to think. Did you walk to school? Uh, no. Well, yes, I did. Sorry. Well, I still primary. Yeah, I walked to school every day. Yeah. And wow. then when I got to high school, you know, it was 
trudging off to a bus. But we had a lot of state high kids in the Tarragindi Holland Park area, so we had a bus in the afternoons that would bring us home. Yeah. But we used to get the bus sometimes right outside the school. These days it doesn't exist. It used to be down on South Bank. It was Grey Street. Yeah. And that used to be a big bus, and not an interchange, but a thoroughfare. Yeah. And you used to jump on there and then wait for the Somerville House girls to get on. <laughs> and then the lorry boys, the Lawrence's. <laughs> then you weave your way past... You know, the hospital and then Bogo Road and then you knew you were nearly home. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's where the that's, – that, that was Snapchat in the old days was the bus and the after-school bus. That's where you f- – yeah, it was the whole social scene was the bus. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, of course, lunchtime. Oh, they, yeah. They didn't call it recess. It was just, you know, a little lunch, <laughs> the big lunch. lunch. Yeah. Who was, the first, who was the first news anchor you remember seeing on telly in Brisbane? Oh, um, I don't – think they were the first, but Mike Higgins was pretty big. Yeah, in, I was going to say, Mike, he was a Channel 7 bloke with a moustache. Yes. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah. Loved and, him. He, and as circumstance would have it, he's one of the reasons I kind of kept my job and ended up in TV. How's that? Because I landed a job by accident at a TV station as a production assistant. and um, In Brisbane? In Brisbane. On the mountain? Yeah, up on the hill. And one of the ladies in my running club used to be used to work on a current affairs show up there and I she was leaving that to set up the entertainment for Expo. And I was, you know, I was working full time at a fitness centre and I was teaching aerobics, but I also managed these five centres and we had twenty five instructors, hundred and twenty five classes a week. I was really organized, but you know, I was bored. I was studying part time. And so I said to Barbara, look, you know, I'd really like to work with you setting up the Entertainment for Expo because I'm organised and I'll, you know, do anything pretty much. Um, and she said, look, I won't be ready for 12 months, but there's a great job going Channel 7. I said, I don't know anything about television. She said, you could do this job in your sleep centre, no problem. So I go up for an an interview and then they end up auditioning me and re, re, like I just did not, I just said, I, I, no, I'm a, production assistant. I don't know anything about this game. So I I was there for about 12 months working with Glenn Taylor. Uh, He was the uh, host at the time. And then um, Mike Higgins left Channel 7. You know, he was Mr. Brisbane and he went to Channel 10. Then it was called Channel O. And Channel 7 panicked and they went for a half hour news to an hour news. So they axed, this was during the Scase era, and they axed the current affairs show and blew the news out to an hour and we were all called in on April Fool's Day, whatever year it was, and we all thought we'd lost our jobs. But I got absorbed into the newsroom because they needed more production assistant work. Yeah. And so because of Mike Higgins, I actually kept my job and then switched to journalism and got a cadetship and here I am. Wow. Well, hang on. <laughs> let me let me hit rewind for a sec. Because for a start, when I first saw the Rod Burgundy uh, you know, I always got a spit take out of you, almost. Uh, when I first saw Anchorman, yeah. it was Mike Higgins. That oh, I really? Yeah, it was because he was the guy. He was like at 6 o'clock every day. His, and he was classic. It was the 70s. There was the, the opening scene of the Channel 7 News in Brisbane was the helicopter flying over the mountain. Oh, it was like it. apocalypse now. Love it, Brisbane. It was Remember? Love you, Brisbane. Love that you, Brisbane. The jingle. Yeah. And they were number one. They were huge. Humongous. And he often wore a cream, like safari suit type thing. Of course thing. he did. 
Of course he <laughs> I did. I wonder if he had the Bermuda shorts and the, and the long walk socks on. Well, <laughs> what goes under a news desk we'll talk about later. later. But um, So it sounds to me, let's just hit rewind for a second there. Um, is there like a, a day glow leotard leg warmer period in your life that we just kind of skipped over, Sandra? <laughs> no, we didn't skip over. I mean, I'm... I'm very proud of my aerobics days. <laughs> How did you even start? Well, look, I was always really an active kid, you know. So when I was younger, it was ballet and swimming and then netball for a bit, mostly hockey. Did gymnastics, did acrobatics at primary school, then gymnastics. Then when I finished school, I stayed um, playing hockey and keeping fit. Um, and aerobics had kind of taken off. And so I... It was started, the CrossFit of its time. It, yeah, it was actually. And I started doing it to keep fit. I would do it at my lunch breaks. At the time, I think I was studying part-time. I was a public servant. I was a stenographer in the typing pool. And then I worked in accounts payable, um, landed a job in the Queensland Public Service, actually the same building that Joe Bielke was in, which was always amazing. It was interesting because was always, he was enormous. Yeah. And I would run down at my lunchtime and, and take these classes. Well, they, you know, I was still actually pretty fit but also pretty flexible having done gymnastics mm. most of my life um and so then i asked you know can i can i start doing this before or after work started working part-time started working full-time through the job in was studying part-time yeah um for me it was you know i got paid to keep fit and i loved it yeah and after a while i realized it was more of a hobby than a career uh-huh. so even when i started in television i was still taking fitness classes before and after work i took the entire executive team at channel 7 for fitness classes i used to take agro jamie jamie dunn for fitness you ask him about me <laughs> yeah yeah seriously very you funny. Take jamie we go dunn. way back yeah oh. before he would run up the hill and yeah. be mr agro and wombat and i'd run up the hill and be the production assistant in the newsroom, I'd have ripped his butt off and screamed at him for 40 minutes in an aerobics class. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that, that is so, so brilliant that, you know, but what, what did you find? Did you, were you putting it together, what fitness was doing for you as far as, you know, um, keeping, you know, I mean, I, I now, I, fitness has to be a part of my day, otherwise I can't think straight. Were See, you finding that then? It's always been. Yeah. I've never been super fit, um, probably compared to the average bear, if you know what I mean. But when I was working full-time in the gym area, you know, a lot of my colleagues were off chasing triathlons and biathlons and marathons. And I always knew the advantage of staying agile and I was always pretty flexible. So it was about maintaining. I always joke I'd rather be the tortoise than the hare. Because I still want to be keeping fit and I still want to be active when I'm 60 and 70 and 80. Because mm. that's the key. Yeah. You know, but I, I love the adrenaline of, of feeling fit. You know, I always have. It's been part of the, mm. the drug, you know. I'm addicted. Did you work out today? Yeah. <laughs> what did you do today? Uh, today was Pilates and a quick run on the treadmill in the dining room. <laughs> <laughs> so home Pilates or a class? Uh, no, Pilates was a class. Yeah. Um, and treadmills in the dining room. Right. And so, because when you, you mentioned earlier that you were in a in a running club, that would have all been because I've only just recently learned all you know about that 
jogging wasn't really a thing until the design of shoes in the 70s, which suddenly meant people who didn't have perfect form could now run, whereas before it was a lot harder for most people to access. Well, look, I wasn't really a runner. I was more um, anaerobic fit. And, you know, with hockey, it's all short bursts, mm. short, sharp stuff. But because I was working full-time at the gym, I could never make hockey training, but I was fit enough to turn up every Saturday. So the coach would say to me, when your skill set drops, you'll be out of the team or we'll drop you back. Wow. But you're fit enough to stay in the team. So I just had to really work on my skills all the time. But um, I remembered, uh, I remember starting um, joining a running club and I was taking 14 to 21 classes a week. You know, some of them were pretty tough. And... Um, I had to run 2Ks from the Valley Police Club down towards New Farm or towards Newstead and back. <laughs> I just was so out of breath and I was disgusted with myself. And I reckon it probably took me three to four months before I found a rhythm with running, but I wouldn't have called my... So I started running later in life. You, you know, I wasn't a runner when I was a kid. Yeah. I was a sprinter, you know, I was a sprinter yeah. in the pool, on the track, you know, yeah. that's me. Um Whereas now I like, you know, 5, 6K, 8K, lovely, oh. lovely. But it, it takes you a few years before you can call yourself a runner where you – and then, I, you know, I, I've only just started running again. I couldn't run for seven years. I had a hip injury, hmm. um, which, yeah, I was sort of grief-stricken for a long time. That did my head in. I had to find other things, but nothing's as good as when you blow it out the way you want to blow it out. I agree with you. I'm actually exactly that boat. I got, I got told by a surgeon the other day, it's like – you're not going to run again, pal. It's over. They said that to me too, but... Oh, I've seen the scans and he's the third surgeon I saw. Well, I've got <laughs> labr labral tears in both hips, so oh. the cartilage torn in both hips. Oh, man. But um, anyway, get around it. I'm back running. I don't run outdoors. I either run on hard sand just on a surf's edge yeah. if it's flat yeah. um, or treadmill. And, and you're, you're okay? Yeah. Yeah, I've got to work at it. Pilates has made a massive difference. Yeah. Regular physio. And, you know, I think for that seven years when they thought there was a problem, yeah. turns out they were treating a symptom and not the cause. Oh. So you've got to, it's like an onion with physical injuries. You've got to keep peeling it back till you work out what's actually caused yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll do that. Funny. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. If uh, I, I, would, I don't know how, but I had cause to occasionally pop up to Mount Cutha. Uh, where the television stations are in Brisbane mm -hmm. uh, a few times in, in my childhood and then in the early 90s. Um, just for folks not from Brisbane, all the stations are on this one road, which is on the only hill in the city where all the towers are. Yeah, and overlooks the city. Yeah, I think it's I think it's maybe three kilometres from one to the other and there's two in the middle. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the ABC's now off, but their transmission tower, yeah, I think, is still yeah, up there. But they, it's all up there. It's yeah. all up the same road. Um and it was always, as a kid, I remember going up there. My parents would take me up there. It was always so magical. I always felt this magical thing in my, inside me, even when I was like eight or nine years old, that, oh, this is where it happens. Oh. The magic happens. It really is, though. Yeah. I still get the tingles, you know, when I, when I think about walking into the lobbies and they have those massive backlit um, posters. Of, of stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you said, it was Ernie Sigley, but still. It, you know, I, I got real excited. I got, I got really excited. Yeah. For, for, for people who, who, I mean, this is obviously a time when the market was very, very different. There was no internet. There was no cable TV. Um, the, what you read in the newspaper, what you heard on the radio and what you saw on the television was what happened as far as anyone says. That's the, that's the only information source or sources you had. 
Yeah, exactly. Can you just can you maybe talk a little bit about what the culture was like, and, and like when certainly when you went out to an hour and that news bulletin, what what the sense of you know your your role in the community was? Um, well, I, I think everyone carried that weight of responsibility, you know, to get it right, and how much weight you put on certain stories. I mean, I was really such a cub, such a pup in the game, so I was all eyes and all ears. Um, I worked with some really good people that I could learn from. Um, I had some really good mentors or guides through it. Uh, look, when I started, Mike Darcy was a senior political reporter on the current, current affairs show and then he got absorbed into the newsroom and he used to say, just come down with me to State Parley, you know, and watch Joe. Just come down and watch it. And I just soaked it up and then... So hang on, so you stood there and watched Bjorki Peterson? Yeah. Wow. And then... Um, and then the Fitzgerald inquiry started and I used to go down with Jason Cameron and sit in the back of the courtroom during the Fitzgerald inquiry. What um, an incredible training ground. Amazing. Every single day another, like this is like the biggest police corruption scandal in possibly Australian history, I don't know. And what was very surreal for me and irrelevant in the broader scheme of things, but now all these years on, I'm happy to um, to share it, is that, you know, my best friend at high school was Terry Lewis's, Lewis's daughter. Wow. So I was sitting, I, I was actually, you know, it added another dimension to the power of, of um, you know, quality journalism and, and justice. Um, extraordinary, you know, to sit there and watch one of your best friend's fathers go down, go right. to jail. He was, you know, the police commissioner. Far out. Yeah. Did you have sleepovers? Did you know him? Yeah. Far out. I mean, we disconnected after school through just through circumstance. Um, his daughter is a you know beautiful human being, lovely, lovely woman, um, and there's no ill will. It was just it was quite surreal, almost watching it in a disconnected sense because I I couldn't have any impact really on the story. Jason was so experienced; I was just watching him in disbelief about how he could you know, sort of dismantle the minutiae and make sense of it all and put it all together for a one minute 30 story, you know, yeah, that, that was accurate and, um, you know, hit, hit the mark. That was pretty extraordinary. And then, you know, Joe was coming and going and, and he would have his press conferences, you know, they would all crowd the entrance to his building, which was the back driveway where I worked as a stenographer in the typing pool. Yeah. And, you know, he had one lift always cordoned off for him. And there was, I think there were eight lifts at the base of the Queensland Public Service Board. And I was, you know, on another floor. But whenever Joe was in the building, his lift got quarantined. But his lift driver used to be a mate of my parents at the footy club. And so whenever he wasn't in the lift, he'd say, come on, Sandy, come in with me. You know, (laughs) 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 it's just, it's funny, you know, this sort of, Star-cross moments yeah. in your life where, uh, you know, it really is six degrees. Yeah. Well, I certainly saw- in a community like Brisbane at the time, which was, was a cow town. It was, it was a bigger country town. And look, a lot of people in Brisbane always get defensive because, you know, it, it, was, it was never good enough. It was never good enough for the, you know, East Coast National Rugby League mm. scene. Um, Joe always sort of said we're better, you know, yeah. and there's, you know, there's this chip on your shoulder if you're from Queensland. And so when my friends from Brisbane here, it's still got a country town quality, they bristle. But I 
see it as a really endearing, charming yeah. quality that, you know, is, doesn't exist in Melbourne and doesn't exist in Sydney. Yeah. It's still got a country edge to it that's really wonderful. I, I agree with you. I just, I've just done radio there for two, two years and, you know, it's, it's much, it's humongous. Oh, now. it's cosmopolitan. It's, yeah. it's got everything going on, but there's still something uniquely Brisbane about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, there, there really is. When you, uh, when you first started getting like really stuck into that, that obviously it's a would have been an exciting time in the building. We're going for half an hour. We're going to go to an hour. We're going to take them on. We're going to would have been an exciting time. What what was it that made you you know excited about going to work then? Oh, I had a mortgage. <laughs> you clever. What were you? Twenty two. Yeah, a little bit older. No, I was in my twenties. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. I had to pay bills. Yeah. So I was working in the gyms before and after work. I just wanted a job. And I, it wasn't until I got in the newsroom that I was offered a cadetship. At the time, I was doing a Bachelor of Business by correspondence, which was just crazy. I wasn't enjoying it at all. So then I switched to journalism. Um, then I fell in love with journalism, mm. you know, fell in love with it. What was it that got you? Well, a range of things, but you're really, you know, in the box seat of the, for the big events. I mean, you see history before your eyes changing or happening and, you know, you're given a first-class ticket. I mean, it's not, it's not that at all. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's always comfortable or, or an A-plus um, ticket, but you realize that I realise there's politics in every aspect of life and a lot of journalists when I first started out said, no, I can't stand politics, it's so boring. And I said, if you understand politics, it's in every facet of life. There's office politics, there's politics at the PNC, at your hockey club, at, you know, girl guides, every aspect of life. You understand, you know, primarily the concept of the political dynamic. If you can break every scenario down to the politics of the situation, you know, you can read who's who in the zoo and why they're on that side, right or left. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. why they're, you know, why they're championing a particular cause and how they need to, um, you know, inculcate a group on their side, you know, to convince them that this is the right way to go. It might be, you know, selling a piece of property or you know, the kindergarten changing their hours, you know, and parents say no, whatever it is. I just, all of a sudden politics wasn't a scary space for me because I realised it it made sense of the world around me and it makes a difference, a significant difference to the way we live. What did you, what did you learn in that journalism degree that you began that you still will use today when you go on air? 
Oh, gosh. Osha, there's so many things. Um, it's always about getting it right. And that's not always as easy as it sounds. Um, you know, you've got to go with your gut and you get better at reading people and reading situations. You know, where do you place the value on on a lead and in the information you're getting? Um, the second source, you know, verifying the information. And and then, then it was the competition on the road. Like that was half the fun. And and I know that may put people off when they, you know, journalists rank with used car salesmen and real estate agents in terms of community respect, but it was actually about getting back to the office in time to slam your story together and then watch it. And in those days, all the bulletins were at six o'clock. And Larry Summerton, who was the news director then, we had this wonderful habit, you know, routine as soon as the, the news started, we all crowded into his room, into his office, and we sat on his desk, we sat on the floor. It was a real sense of teamwork, and that was always a really great bonding experience. It's always stuck with me. Um, and he would have three TVs on, and we would watch. You'd watch your story line up against the other two, and then you knew every day whether you not only got it right, but, you know, what did you miss? So, you know, you had this insatiable competitive thirst yeah. to win. <laughs> and, get, and 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 give like I was learning the craft of journalism, yeah. Um, to get it right, and you know why didn't I pitch the story that way, or what, that was a better lead than the one I used, and this that would have been a better lead into that grab because it framed the context, it put it put the grab in a better context, and framed the person's argument, you know, uh, in a, in a better way than I'd done. All, all those sorts of things, you know, elements to the story that you learn. Did it change the way that you consumed news? Did it change the way you read other sources and read newspapers and went, oh, hang on a second? Yeah, look, I, I was not an avid or voracious reader of news at all. Um, and and my, my dad was. He would read the paper. But let's face it, most people don't have time to read the paper. It was a, a luxury on a weekend if you had that time. And when we were kids, I wasn't surrounded by people that were avid news watchers. We sat down and watched the evening news and then I never thought about it again until six o'clock the next night as a kid. Um, so then I, you know, developed a voracious appetite for radio, yeah. newspapers, everything, anything. Well, there's some things you talked about there, though, that I think might be of value to certainly even now, things like um, the right lead, the second source, just those two things. Just having that in your pocket when you go through your day and reading sensational headlines that pop up in your phone, it's extraordinary. Because if you believed everything that came through your news feed, you'd think the world is ending every day. Yeah, and sometimes, look, I, there's never too much information, but I think you do have to work out your filters, you know, so that you're not overwhelmed, not just as a journal, but every day. I mean, information sources at you, whether you're fascinated with entertainment or drama, whatever it may be, and at some point you've just got to, like, turn the volume down or switch it off. Yeah. You know, find that allocated times in your day where you use that time to catch up. You know, I published this digital newspaper called Short Black, and the reason I called it Short Black is people were increasingly becoming um, consumers of news where they had the choice as to when they wanted to process or digest the information that mattered to them. So I curate, you know, mostly national and uh, international news and politics, 
domestic news, sport, things I think matter to Aussies. But I called it Short Black because increasingly people read or get their information in bite-sized chunks at a time that suits them. And in the smashed avocado cafe latte set, um, it's over a coffee where they actually get quite me time. Mm. When you see a headline that you find that can't be right, do you believe what you read or do you go and check it two or three other places to verify it? Yeah, never. I mean, I, I see the headline as a hook. Yeah. And I don't. It's it's to encourage people to, to read further, read on or buy. Um, occasionally, of course, you bristle when you think, you know, that that's a cheap shot or probably a bit unnecessary. But more often than not, I admire how clever they are. <laughs> <laughs> not about hooking the reader, but the play on words. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess I'm. I'm also talking about you know just the size of a story or, or something that might be just over, like a little overwhelming. Do you still look for a, a second source? Do you still you oh, know, check other websites? Yeah, yeah. I mean, every day um, I scan four pages before I come in, and then there would be a half a dozen websites I will look. Yeah, you know, trawl through. So when I log on at the news desk, I've got probably six websites open at any given time. In and then there's Twitter, which is our, you know, eternal news source that's, you know, pulsing and pumping mm. by the second. Um, and, again, that's just a headline. Then you've got to open it up and say, right, well, that's what the ABC's claiming. Has anyone else, has anyone else said anything remotely like this? What's their source? Right. Is it what, you know, do we chase it? Do we not? Yeah. How important is it? And don't forget, I mean, the other really important thing I've learned is when I first started, because news was, you know, sort of one source, you had to be all things to all people. And for as long as I can remember, you know, I've been at 10, 28 years. Well done. People would say to me, um, well, yeah, it's scary as I say it out loud. Um, you know, you don't have enough finance news or you don't have enough world news or I never watched Channel 10, I only watched the ABC. And I think, okay. Like I, I, I literally never, ever offended because it's whatever floats your boat. But you can't be all things to all people. And I quickly worked out that what we do is a combination of somewhere in between the Sydney Morning Herald and the Daily Telegraph. But we're not the Australian and we're not the Financial Review. We're not the Guardian. We're not the Conversation. We're not any of those other things. And you can't be all things to all people. And what profoundly affects you is not going to profoundly affect anyone else. There's a handful of stories in your lifetime that will connect everyone at at a guttural level, September 11, arguably recently based on that um, study a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the gender equality laws, the, the um, marriage equality laws. Now, that arguably resonated with the current generation profoundly above September 11, but they didn't live through September 11. Anyone two generations older probably can't ever say anything bar September 11 is the most profound thing they've lived through, mm. you know. So I, I think I respect people's perspectives and don't expect everyone to have the passion for news that I have. And I always feel very privileged that I get paid to read the papers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, like how lucky am I? It, well, it's, it's, you know, you're lucky that you get to do what you love. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
every day. Yeah, <laughs> but people and uh, people love what you do. You don't you don't have a career that lasts twenty eight years unless you're good at it, Sandra. Um, I don't presume that. I do love it, and I think it can disappear at any any second, any day. I don't live on tenterhooks or hanging on by my fingernails. You know, I'll always find something else to do that doesn't worry me. You know, the flip side of of this job is the pace is never ending and you've got to find that downtime, that out time and you can't be across everything. So, you know, people will often, you know, they want me to explain you know, some complex policy and I'll say, look, I can't give you the minutiae on that. You know, I know a little bit about a lot but not much about anything. <laughs> That's my constant excuse. But, you know, give me a day and I'll, I'll get across it. We live in a world now where, you know, we, we talked before about, you know, people being on Twitter and, and you know, th- there is a chance that you can get overwhelmed by information. Oh, yeah. How do you see the role? I mean, you, you've mentioned a few news directors that you've worked with that essentially are the ones that these are the stories we're following today and here's what we'd like to show as we tell these stories. That role is largely being taken place by now a news aggregator code that sees what people click on and then feeds that person more of what they're clicking on. How do you see that changing the way people consume news? It doesn't really happen in our newsroom. This is true because you still have a human that does it. But the way people consume news, by and large, outside of your bulletin, is on their phone. That's true. And that's why we're on as many platforms as we can be on. Right. Um, You know, intertwined in all of this is this concept of fake news and... I mean, I always just encourage people to um, read a couple of sources, not about any one story, but just don't have one fix, you know. It might be a violent crumble, but, you know, try Kit Kat one day, you know. (laughs) There's joy in other places. And, you know, I don't think as as a rule of thumb you can go past the major news organisations, 10, 9 and 7, ABC, SBS, and, of course, you know, the Sydney Morning Herald, Telegraph, the Oz, the Finn. Now, no one has time to, to look at all of those. But if you only get your information from one source, frankly, more fool you. Right. Why, why, would, why would you just rely on one source? Because when I'm reading that scary story about someone who's going to come for me in the night, then there's a photo of my friend's baby and then I scroll down a bit more and there's a photo, you know, some recipe but or something. you some... said, you also said that someone, w- whether it's digital or human, yeah. curates your news for you. Yes. And yeah. so you just got to make sure the curator has a broader input. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't really bother with Facebook um, and I know they've been, you know, branded as the fake news kind of area because there's mm. no delineation between what's real and what isn't. Um, and I would just say to people, don't get your news from Facebook. They're not a trusted, reliable source. And they're scrambling like crazy to build their cred in the news space and they know they have to. So I like, I'm just can't be bothered. Yeah, I'm really proud of what the, the quality of the news we pump out here for free, the free-to-air networks and ABC and SBS. You know, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with you. Every when I certainly I missed it when I lived overseas. When I lived away, not see, having access to the ABC was. Yes, but now with digital, with the concept of digital, like I'm addicted to WMYC, you know, and which 
is New York Public Radio. Yeah. Um, and they often take BBC World News and and so when you're in the States, it's it's a shame you hadn't found them. But things, apps like TuneIn let you yeah. tune into any radio station in the yeah. world at any time live. Oh, no, it's amazing. No. I guess what I, was, what I was trying to say is that I missed that that public resource doesn't exist in in the US, that there isn't a, you know, it's not a taxpayer-funded, you know, um, yeah. uh, BBC, non-biased ABC. broadcaster that has a charter to cover certain amounts of... NPR's pretty good. NPR is, is pretty good, but it's still, that's a, it's, it's not a government-run um, thing. It's and charity. it's all politics. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a charity Which, thing. But yeah. it's good, though, because you can hear it over the sound of the Prius that's it's driving. <laughs> that's a Los Angeles joke uh, <laughs> for anyone that's uh, bothered to, uh, yeah. Um, when you are thinking about your day and you are, you know, do you centre yourself before you get going? Do you, like, hear a go? There's so many peaks and troughs in my day. The trick is not to flatline too early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I but I've always found um, I always quite like a, a bit of quiet time. So, yeah, I think I do recharge when I have those um, snatches of quiet time yeah. and I need them. You've been at this network for – I've been here since 2003, so – more than I have. Um, but you've seen this network, and just for most people who are listening don't work in television. I'd say maybe, I don't know, 40 people listening will go to tele- listen to television. The, you know, 40,000 people who aren't, though. Um, who probably do, you know, substantial things like yeah. save lives, teach children. Yes, but all of them, I'm, I'll tell you where I'm going. Um, even in my time working here at this network with a mortgage, I have seen the, you know, the very foundations of what holds our jobs secure shake you know oh. we live in the corporate world here in this you know public you know uh, two months ago we were yeah. all on tender hooks but you've done that a few times this network's <laughs> been you know how did you get through it what you know how what's your advice for people who you know the business that they're in might be a little shaky but you can just what what's your advice the first time's the worst because you don't believe there's you know you only see armageddon you yeah. don't believe there's life after receivership or administration but there is and, you know, I've seen so many people come and go, reinvent themselves, chart new courses, launch themselves into and challenge themselves in, in so many exciting ways. Um, I think, you you know, for me that first time was pretty scary, but I'd only been at the network about a year and we went into administration when Broadcom took us over. This was – you were probably 12. <laughs> anyway, no, I was 20. Anyway, um, and I was really worried. You know, I'd had a had a mortgage back in Brisbane. I was living in Sydney. Um, I just wanted a job. Yeah. Um, and then I was looking around for other part-time work. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to feed yourself. You've got to keep a roof over your head. And look, if it all goes to pot, you're not going to physically die. So you'll be okay. You just will have to do something else. I'm pretty resourceful. You know, it's... But the last time... I did feel quite old when so many people came to sort of say, so, Sandra, what's going to happen? I said, we'll be okay. You know, I, I can't, there are no guarantees. But, you know, stay as long as you want to. If you love it, stay. If you don't, find something else. Now's the time to go. But um, I, I can't promise you anything. I don't know any more than you know. None of us knew 
you know, there's a handful of people in the network that knew how it was going to play out. And then the way it played out, no one could have predicted. Nobody could have predicted the way it played out. And now we're part of this, you know, this global giant. Um, and it's largely business as usual, but there will be changes behind the scenes that will affect everybody. But, you know, television, Channel 10 has, hasn't been this strong and confident a position for so long. It's just really thrilling to be on, you know, to be watching it all grow again, you know. I mean, jobs, jo- jobs are being advertised. We haven't been able to advertise for a job for over 12 months. We've lost so many good people. And we've had so many farewells and that that gets you down. I, and I thought, you know, it was my fourth or fifth sort of major upheaval that it wasn't bothering me. And yet when I got to the end of the year, I was really exhausted. And I think it was the the emotional roller coaster of seeing good people go and and just wondering, you know, how it was all going to end up. Um, I was tired, you know, but yeah. hopeful <laughs> and, and I'm relieved. Just, I'm just I'm just so so naive, Sandra. I just just you know I, just can't, I can't control it. I can't you know I can't sit in boardrooms with big wigs and make you know. Can I say, you asked me what's the one piece of advice. I'm sorry, oh, I no. completely forgot. The okay. one thing I've always said to everybody and the, the way I've always managed it is I try not to worry about what I can't control. So every day I came into work and if my pass worked, I thought, yippee, <laughs> I got a job <laughs> and enjoy the day. Yeah. But you're right, like it wouldn't make any difference sweating bricks over, you know, the minutiae of boardroom, um, you know, salvos. I mean, yeah. it makes no sense. And so... When the decision's made, they will tell you, and until then, just plough on. Yeah. You know, because you can't you – ha- anything you do or say has no bearing on the outcome at no. all. So just enjoy what you do, and if not, do something else. <laughs> wise. Very, very wise. Well. As, as a 43-year-old guy, I was very interested this morning to see uh, Uma Thurman's talking about what happened between her and uh, Harvey Weinstein. I've been waiting for her to – Reveal all. And the footage, did you see the footage of the what happened on the set of Kill Bill when she's driving that? Um, no, I haven't seen the bit oh, yet. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. She, but I'm not surprised. No, she was put in a, there's a shot where she's hooning through the jungle. I think it must be Puerto Rico or something where she's, in the movie, she's going to see the guy who knows where Bill is. All right. And if you remember the film, his, the, the woman he's with has a big scar on her face. Mm. Anyway, she's hooning through this jungle, but she... So took one look at the car and get that car's not safe. I can't drive it. I'm not a stunt driver. You should get someone else to drive it. No, 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 no. We've got to have you do it. We've got to have you do it. We've got to have you do it. Anyway, it took her 15 years, but she got the footage. And the car crashes and her head slams into the steering wheel and she's left with permanent injuries. She still is affected by this day. It's awful, awful, awful to watch. But you've been here and you've been in television for so long. What are the... What are the cultural shifts like? Does those those Me Too stories resonate with you when you read them? Look, they do. Um, nothing to that degree, although it's not apocryphal. You know, it's happened to friends of mine, colleagues of mine. Um, women do do it tougher in this business and generally in life they do. I mean, the facts back that statement up. You know, the majority of the new face of homelessness in Australia is, is average to middle-aged woman. Um, you know, the retirement incomes, the superannuation uh, is, is virtually none compared, compared to a man. Uh, women are always judged differently. Um, in this business, they see you before they hear you and then add a you know, gender to it. Um, 
and men are women are as bad as men in terms of the way they speak about or judge other women. Um, it it was a very sexist in, industry when I started, and um, but it's improved out of sight, you know, out of sight, and and I think we're largely a reflection of society, uh, more often than not, and. There were lots of ways that the industry changed. Like when I started, um, I used to say television, commercial television in Australia was, was for a long time a billionaire's fiefdom. Um, it was run by billionaires who had a passion for television, but they were privately listed companies. So there was no human resources. There were no rules. It was what I say and do as I do. And you had no recourse. So Channel 10 was actually the first commercial network after we went into administration that, that got an HR department. It took one or two of the other networks at least a decade. So when transgressions occurred, you could go to HR and say, this is inappropriate behaviour. Now, you know, it largely fell on deaf ears until a certain period of time lapsed and, you know, those practices became accepted as the norm across the board in, in Australian business. Uh, and these days, being a publicly listed company, in terms of good governance, that's one of the best things that's ever happened to commercial television because they are by law required to fulfil, you know, be um, promulgate good corporate governance. And that includes the way you treat your employees fairly and equitably. When you think back to those times in, in Mount Cuther and the in the late 80s, you just, does your head spin when you think about some of the things that were done and said? Uh, well, I didn't see really horrendous things. And I was brought up with two older brothers and my dad, you know, worked on the wharves and it was a pretty robust um, household. And I, I was never, um, you know, a wallflower. I mean, I, I don't think I was very confident at all, um, but I was always given a good cheeky streak. So... You know, the first job I got in television, my boss at the time as a production assistant said, so look, this is how I like my tea and coffee and water and, and <laughs> can you get my dry cleaning? And I, said, I, don't, I don't do any of that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get water. There's a bubbler over there. Coffee, I don't drink coffee. How do you take it? You better work it out. Go and make it. He said, well, what if the Premier comes up for a chat? I said, all right, if someone interesting or important comes up, I'll ask someone if we need to get your tea or coffee. But I don't do that. That's what, you know, you need to sort out. And he literally sort of swallowed <laughs> palpably and went, are you serious? And I laughed and said, no, I'm not here to make you coffee. You know, I'm here to learn about television. Are you kidding? But I, I, I had this dismissive cheeky air. Yeah. I know I did and I still do. Yeah. You know, so I just... You might have been the first person that told him that. He just laughed. I think he actually loved it. Yeah. And look, there are lots of really important stories where women have been treated terribly and they need to be told the perpetrators need to be brought to task. But I haven't been confronted with that because even if I, even if I had been, um, look, I was in a newsroom at one point when a particular, you know, colleague of mine uh, was told via, you know, another newsroom journal, it's, it's probably better you shed some kilos, you're starting to pork up a bit. You know, and, and so I, you know, was in a women in media forum and, was asked to speak on the panel. So I just said, this is what's happening. And they went, you know, then I was to be quoted as happening at 10. I said, yeah, it did happen at 10. I won't name names. And then the news director called me in and said, you can't say that. I said, I can. It happened. You know it did. You know who's the culprit. 
And he said, it didn't need to be a headline. I said, well, fix the game, buddy. <laughs> you know. So I think what's always got me through is, um, you know, I've got a bit of mongrel in me. And if I see something really unfairly happening, I'll have a crack. Well, lucky that, that you said that. You, you say that. I, I, I mean, I'll, that never, I'll never forget, like a friend of mine, she went to go live in the UK. She was here. She grew up here. Then she lived in the UK for 15 years. And she came out and she was like, the fuck? Burke Newton's still on television. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's this, there's this idea. They probably say that about me now. No, Sandra. <laughs> yes, they do. Oh, piffle. But in many ways, only men get to grow old on TV. Still the case. Yeah. Look, increasingly, you know, women over 50 have got roles and that's wonderful. But, but there's still... There's still a judgment, an unspoken judgment that, oh, she's getting a bit old. You know, yeah. they just don't have the same reaction. It's it's almost you know instinctive to judge men and women differently. I mean, I think it's part of our DNA, and I don't know how and when that's ever going to stop. It might, it might be cultural. I was speaking to a friend who just came back from Japan, and they were watching a uh, actually Yumi uh, was over there, and um, well, she's from there. But they were they were um, watching a lot of TV, and they said like on Japanese television, everyone's men, perfect. Men, women. From teenagers to people over sixty, over seventy, equally shown, equally represented, talking, you know, hosting things, acting in things. Mm. There's no like this sweet spot that we seem to have in in our culture of you're between the ages of twenty two and thirty two as as a woman, and then that's it. You kind of vanish. Well, look, that, that clearly changed in the last ten to fifteen years. Mm. I mean, Liz Hayes, Tracy Grimshaw. Um, Caroline Jones from um, ABC. I mean, there's Margaret Pomerantz. Yeah. There's a lot of older, strong, super intelligent, savvy women out there, mm. um, you know, charting courses for us all. And that you've seen those older women across the board. But it's whether the networks back them in prime time slots. Um, and, and that's where I don't want to be gender specific. I think um, after the marriage equality, the next thing that the economy is starting to move towards is to to rule out ageism because we're losing, you know, such experience and intellect and and um, and a wealth of talent when people aren't ready. I, I mean, I, re- I hate the word retire, not because I'm you know heading north that way, uh, far from it, but um, it's just, it's it's wasting invaluable years of of experience and talent that you know that surrounds us and 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 there's a prejudgment you know people turn deaf when they look at people of a certain age and how do we change that they visually i mean i've i've got girlfriends who say to me you know i've got a clutch of girlfriends that are somewhat older than me that they stop being seen let alone heard. And that, I think that's our next big, for, you know, forefront. That's, that's fascinating. Next big fight. It's mm. fascinating that before the person's even opened their mouth that there's a subconscious judgment that goes, whatever this person says won't, won't matter. No. And if this person says even something quite valid, you're like, wow. I mean, the younger generation, you get that. Everyone's old. Yeah. And they switch off and they don't want to hear it. And when you're somewhere between probably 18 and 32 
you know, you're at you're at the precipice of the mm. career launch and mm. you want to conquer everything. Um, but there's there's a place for all. Yeah. And the the hardest thing I find is, you know, because I'm now over 50, people think, well, you're just banging on about it because you want a longer runway. Well, not really. I, I just see it as a mistake to discard all of this talent and experience and knowledge mm. and wisdom. Why would you just turf that out the door? Why would you shut the door on that? Mm. It's just daft. There's got to be, an, you know, a way to to get the best out of everyone and, and find a mutual, you know, happy place. Um, look, I was in the newsroom and we never had part-time work for female employees. And the newsroom is the best place for a part-time mum because, you, you know, yesterday's news was is yesterday's fish wrapper. You need to start with a clean slate as long as you're pretty abreast of what's going on. And uh, we fought really hard to get permanent part-time positions for ma- male and female journalists. The only ones that desperately needed it, though, were, of course, the women at the time. This was 15 or more years ago. Yeah. And uh, it was a, it was a hard, hard battle. But it made perfect sense. And now we've got, you know, a lot of permanent part-time employees, both men and women, who job share, who don't want full-time work for whatever reason. Yeah, It's not because they're old or their parents. Some people, you know, want to study part-time and only want to work three days a week or can afford to. Good luck to them. When you do go and speak with uh, cadet journalists now, what do you tell them? Uh, get out of your comfort zone. We used to say go bush, you know, as soon as I, I was only at seven really for a relatively short time and then went to Canberra and that was an aggregation started and I know that's probably a term you understand but a lot of people don't. So in the olden days, Osha, um, regional Australia only had the ABC and then one other commercial station that used to cherry pick the best of shows of seven, nine and ten. Aggregation meant that every regional market had a seven, nine and ten signal plus the ABC. So they've got three commercial networks and um, the ABC and then SBS. So newsrooms popped up all over the country um, and it also popped up in Canberra when the ACT got self-government. So I put my hand up to go to Canberra and put my hand up to cover the local political round. Knew nothing, jumped in, you know, just way too green, worked really hard, all, all of all of that. But you've got to get out of your comfort zone and most of the graduates that come from the capital cities um, really, you know, want to land a job in a big city newsroom. Well, you know, cut your teeth in a regional newsroom where you'll learn more skills than you need and um, you'll be far better equipped for any career in the big smoke. Well, that, that can apply to any industry though. Any industry. Yeah. Yeah. It require more skills than you need. <laughs> That's really... and, that, and that you ever have. Yeah. But, you know, how else do you learn? Yeah. Um, but through necessity, you have to deliver, you know, and you've got all those deadlines. But, you know, we were filing three and four stories a day and then I'd have to roll autocue and then I read weather on weekends and in the mornings I did radio news. And I, you know, wow. You still love a deadline? Yeah, always nervously love a deadline because <laughs> you fret that you're not going to make it. Always not going to make it. But you do. Yeah. That's half the fun. It's the adrenaline Charge and the uh, the drug addiction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's there's less healthy things to be addicted to. Look, in the scheme of things, I know it's a relatively healthy addiction. 
I think between that and the fitness, I think you're going to be all right. Sandra. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for um, asking. It was a really lovely chat. I appreciate it. I'm grateful. All right. I, I'm going to take your photo, okay? That was Sandra Sully. You can find her on Twitter, Sandra underscore Sully, S-U-L-L-Y. If you liked her on the show, please do let her know. Please do reach out. She's quite active on Twitter and it's lovely to have, you know, you tell my guests that, that you liked listening to them because it does, does give them a kick and let them know that, yeah, that hour of their day they spent talking to a bloke with the podcast stuff in the corner of the boardroom, yeah, that was actually worth it. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, uh, I can't make a show. And thank you very much to everyone that has suggestions for guests and suggestions for what I could do with the show. I'm really grateful for all of it. I make the show for you, and I just want to make the show as good as I can for you. So so thank you so, so, so much. Uh, until we talk next time, I'm going to... I'm just going to notice when my body's doing stuff rather than try and fight it. Just go, ah, oh, it's doing that thing, that thing that it always does when I meet strange people. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just let it do its thing and just walk over and say hi to this person. Yeah, just notice. That's all I'm going to do this week. Maybe you could try to. You don't have to, but uh, it's just a thought. Thanks to everybody that helped me produce this show today. The extraordinary Andy. Dearest Andy. Andy Ma, my audio producer, who saves me each and every week from the pit of not putting a podcast out. He saves me and makes sure I get the show out every week. Thank you so much, Andy Ma, for my audio production. You can find out more about Andy at andymar.com. Also, Haley Van Spania for organising all the logistics that require me getting in the same room as another person to talk to them. And, of course, music from Toe Hider. Find him on Twitter at Toe Hider. Until we talk next time, thank you so much for listening. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.